0: Okay, before I start, if we could just pray real quick. Holy Spirit, we invite you to this place. Um, We ask for humility for both me and everyone here. Um, Humble our hearts so we can hear your word. Hide me, Lord, behind the cross. If I've made any mistakes today, Lord, just erase those. Um, Wash those out so we can only hear your truth and take that with us today. Um, We thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Um, so, it, like I said, it's good to speak again. I'm really excited. Uh, several weeks ago, um, KJ asked a group message of us, like, what what would you like to hear preached during the sin sermon or what spe- specific sins? Um, and I kind of thought the idea of, like, sins that we don't talk about very often in the church. And that's really about as far as I got. Well, then Matt asked me to preach today, I'm sorry, KJ asked me to preach today, and um, I I got to, okay, Anything think of a specific sin, so I got the whiteboard, I was was literally just flipping through scripture and writing down all of these different um, minor sins, if you will, And, and the one that kept sticking out is forgiveness, and not about receiving Christ's forgiveness, but us forgiving others, so really the sin of unforgiveness, it really stuck out, and so... I'm gonna to try to talk about that today, specifically answering the question, what's at stake when we don't forgive? What's at stake when we don't forgive? It's a week after Easter, and we spent the last few weeks, last couple weeks, celebrating this event that our entire faith hinges on. Um, Christ, the God, man, the perfect and blemished lamb was mocked, tortured, murdered for the sake of our sins. He bore the penalty for for our disobedience and then overcame evil's power over us by raising from the dead. This is literally the most important aspect of our faith. Because of Christ, we no longer have to face separation from God because of the sins that we've committed. He bore the way for us and forgave us for no other reason other than he loved us. And that's just amazing. And that's what we come out of celebrating this week. One way that we are, we as Christians are called to respond to this is to forgive others who have sinned against us. What a better week to talk about this than the week after we celebrated our own sins being forgiven. Um, just like I mentioned the last time uh, that I was up here preaching, um, the goal today is not to make anyone feel shame as I kind of uncover this sin of unforgiveness. Um, it's to reveal areas in our hearts that sin has a hold, and it's to set us free from that. <clears throat> so we can come up in humble adoration to the cross and release and put those sins down at the cross rather than feeling shame and hiding. Um, I know that for me personally, over the last couple of weeks preparing for this sermon, um, I realized how much it affects your life in the day to day. And I've really had to put this into practice. I've kind of forced myself because I'm like, well, I can't hold this grudge or whatever it is because I'm about to preach on it in two weeks. And <laughs> Don's been adamant about that. My notes have been up on the wall and we've gone back and like looked at the notes and even with each other and I'm like, we have to forgive, you have to forgive me. So I want to touch on what kind of sin unforgiveness is. Typically when we talk about sin, we think of things that we should not do that we do. These are called sins of commission, right? This would include things like lying, stealing, cursing, you fill in the blank. Um, Again, these are things that we do that God forbids us to do. We don't often think of the things that God instructs us to do that we don't do. We call these sins sins of omission. Um, a little bit of church history. I'm going to nerd out just a minute. Historically, the church, um, when doing corporate confession, addresses these types of sin. Um, in their confession, they'll say things like, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Another confession, or another popular confession is, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Notice how these confessions address both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Um, Probably not just me, but I don't typically think of the things that I should be doing that I don't when I spend time in prayer and confess or even look upon my own life. Um, But it's something that we're instructed to do. So I wanted to define forgiveness before I go any further, because I don't want us to get the wrong definition or think that I mean something that I don't. Um, so I'm going to read kind of a dictionary uh, a dictionary definition. Um, so here's what I mean by it. The act by which a wronged party removes an offense from further consideration, thereby reestablishing a basis for harmony with the offender. So we're not saying that there can't be healthy boundaries between you and someone that has sinned against you. I'm not saying that there can't be justice that's served for someone that has sinned against you. All I'm saying is we can release that from our hearts. We can set that person free from our hearts and then establish a basis for harmony. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen, but we can provide that for them. That's what I mean by forgiveness, as I refer to it over the next few minutes. Um, before we go in, get into the weeds of answering the question, what's at stake when we don't forgive? We all need to be on the same page about one thing. Um, if you're a note taker, this is probably a good, a good note to have. It's, it's a foundational truth that I realized when, when uh, researching from this sermon. There is no sin that can be committed against us that is greater than the weight of the sin Christ took to the cross for us. I'll read that a couple more times. There's no sin that can be committed against us that is greater than the weight of the sin that Christ took to the cross for us. One more time. There's no sin that can be committed against us that is greater than the weight of the sin Christ took to the cross for us. If we can't be on the same page about that, we're probably gonna have a hard time swallowing the pill that I'm gonna give here in a minute about unforgiveness. I'm not saying this to shame us. I'm saying this to acknowledge the absolute perfection of Christ and the debt that we owe him for taking the penalty of our sins. We must ask ourselves if we realize the true worth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must have this foundation because I'm going to address some pretty hard truths that are rooted in Scripture, and unless we acknowledge the true worth and perfection of Christ, these truths are going to be hard to accept. When it comes to our willingness and desire to forgive others when they sin against us, we must constantly humble ourselves and recognize Christ's perfection And the price that he paid for us, that's foundation. Everything hinges on that. So if if you have your Bibles, we're gonna turn to Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. To set the stage here. Jesus is in Capernaum in Galilee teaching his disciples. This is the area where he, or the time that he talks about having faith like children. He gives the parable of the lost sheep. He uh, instructs us how to properly correct a fellow believer, which leads Peter to ask this question, starting at verse 21. And I'm reading from the NIV. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Wow. So Peter asks Christ how many times he needs to forgive someone in verse 21. Um, Pausing here, I want to mention something. Peter already knows that there's a requirement to forgive others because of what Christ has already taught them. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus gave instructions on how to pray. He said, we call, or we call this the Lord's Prayer. Um, In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us how to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The verse right after the Lord's Prayer, he makes a special a special note. He says, "'For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, "'your heavenly Father will also forgive you. "'But if you do not forgive others their sins, "'your Father will not forgive your sins.'" This is really a significant instruction for us. And honestly, I could probably end the sermon here because I've told you what's at stake when we don't forgive. Jesus spells it out very clearly. Fortunately enough, he's kind enough to uh, explain this in that parable. So Peter knows that his instru- he knows this instruction. Uh, before he asks Jesus how many times he needs to forgive, he knows that Jesus requires him to forgive others. I kind of think essentially Peter is asking, he's approaching Jesus and being like, okay, Jesus, but like really, okay, I know that I have to forgive, but there's got to be a limit, right? Like how many times? Seven? Is that good? Is that seven? Give me a rough number, something. Jesus responds to Peter in hyperbole, is what we call it, no, not seven, but 70 times. Um, Some translations say 70 70 times seven, and if you're a 90s kid like me, and you think of that old veggie tale, like the little grape, 490. Um, Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Um, but no, Jesus isn't actually saying 490 times or 70, or 70 times. It's, it's hyperbole. He's telling people, people, he's telling Peter that there are no limit to the amount that we are to forgive others. There's no limit. And then he uses a parable to explain why this is. So let's unpack the parable a little bit. It reveals a lot about Christ and us and why we are always to forgive. In the parable and in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's refers to sin as a debt, and I could probably get into this a little bit, but I'm not. We can use those words in this context interchangeably between sin and debt. So when I say debt, I mean sin, and when I say sin, I mean debt. Um, in this parable, the king represents a God, and as it goes, he's wanting to settle these accounts with his servants. He goes to the one servant who owes him, Jesus tells us, 10,000 bags of gold. So let's consider that a moment. Can you imagine today being in debt 10,000 bags of gold? Can you even imagine what 10,000 bags of gold looks like? I know that I can't, that's a lot of gold. Now consider the audience that Jesus is talking to. This is thousands of years ago. 10,000 bags of gold to them would be even more astronomical than it is to us. Now consider what the servant did to get into this much debt. It doesn't say, but I can only imagine. Here's the point that Jesus is making. This servant is in such great debt to the king that it cannot be paid back. It's an impossible number. There would be no one that could could pay that back. The only way for that servant to be relieved of his debt would be if the king reduced or canceled it, which he does. This is a great act of mercy and grace on the part of the king. The king knew that it was an impossible debt to repay, yet the servant truly had no grasp on the weight of his own forgiven debt. The servant, which is us in the story, if you haven't figured that out yet, didn't have the grasp on the weight of his own forgiven debt. How do we know that? Jesus continues his parable by saying that the servant left and immediately found another servant who owed him a debt of a 100 silver coins. He choked him and demanded that the debt be repaid. I wanna pause here and note something. 100 silver coins is a lot less than 100 bags of gold, but it's still a significant amount. 100 silver coins is no joke. It's not a small debt. It's not a minor uh, fault against the other person. Um, I could imagine that it would be reasonable for the first servant to seek repayment on that debt. It probably is reasonable. Um, And I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But the king finds out what the first servant did and threw him into jail and had him tortured because he did not have the same mercy on his fellow servant. Forgiveness is easy when someone wrongs you in a relatively minor way. Maybe someone gossips about you at work. Perhaps your significant other says something mean to you or is unjustifiably angry with you. Maybe you feel unheard by someone or they show up late to a meeting or a, an outing or whatever it is. I would say that these are relatively minor um, sins against us. And when push comes to shove, most of us here in this room, especially after hearing what you know Christ says about forgiving others, Uh, we could forgive these wrongdoings. But what about when the stakes are high? What if the sins against us or you are life-changing or life-altering? What if the sins against you cause significant mental, emotional, or physical trauma? I'm thinking of that parent who abandoned you as a child or that significant other who cheated on you causing the relationship to end. Physical abuse or torture, maybe even murder. Sins like these are no joke, and they're nothing to shrug off, just like the hundred silver coins. It's a major debt. And the pain caused by them is deeply rooted and significant. These are the kinds of sin that the second service may have against the first service, the first servant. It's a great debt. If I ask each one of you right now to think of a person or a situation where you were deeply hurt, you would each probably have a story in the way that I described. So are we supposed to forgive the people that caused this? When considering others that have offended us, it's easy for us to justify holding these offenses against them. Why? Frankly, because our culture says we can. Our culture is preaches us and tells us in social media and on the news and through communication, whatever it is, that we can. Our anger, our hatred, our desire for revenge is all justified. When considering some of these very serious offenses that I've mentioned and many more, I think we could all probably justify these feelings. And I'm right there with you, I'm preaching to me too. However, anger, hatred, the desire for revenge are not what Jesus desires for us, and they do not replicate the life that he lived. The so-called justification for holding on to these offenses for others is a lie by Satan to keep you captive, to keep us captive. So you have Jesus instructing us to to, to forgive others or else our sins won't be forgiven. And then he gives a story implying that we will be cast out if we don't forgive like our father. The question I presented to you was, what's at stake when we don't forgive? Are you able to answer that question yet? The answer is a lot, a lot is at stake. Here's the reality, and this is the hard truth. If we knowingly harbor unforgiveness in our hearts against another person, then we are living in sin, and we are cut off from the community with God. Unforgiveness breeds bitterness, hatred, a desire for revenge, it steals our joy, it breaks our relationships, and altogether causes us to be self-consumed. When we hold on to these offenses against us, we are being held in captivity by the sin of self-pity. We we are more focused on ourselves and revenge than we are on Christ. And I'm going to explain that here in a second. There is nothing godly or Christ-like about this fruit. Like the first servant, when we don't forgive others, we don't have a grasp of the weight of our own forgiven debt. Remember that truth that I gave you before. I randomly came across this quote, and I wasn't, like, Googling it for the sermon, but I thought it was pretty powerful. It's by um, an author named Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot, and she said, Refuse self-pity. Refuse it absolutely. It's a deadly thing with the power to destroy you. Turn your thoughts to Christ, who has already carried our griefs and sorrows. And I was like, wow, who is she to tell me not to self-pity? So I looked her up. Well, I was reminded... (laughs) I was reminded, and her husband, Jim, yeah. Jim Elliot, is a fa- or yeah, he's a famous um, missionary. He was murdered by natives in the Amazon when he was going down delivering the gospel to him. I think there's a movie called End of the Spear about him. That was her husband. So like she lost her husband who was murdered trying to share the gospel, and she's telling me not to self pity. I thought that was pretty, pretty powerful. Not to self pity. Yeah. When we struggle with unforgiveness. What we need to do is consider who Jesus is and what he did for us. Um, I got this picture during prayer room. I told Donna about it. She said I had to talk about it. So I was praying over the sermon. Um, and I just pictured someone, and it wasn't anyone specific, coming up the aisle here, trying to reach the cross, and they were on their hands and knees Um and they had, like, it's a little cliche, but like chains, think of like a ball and chain just chained around their ankles, um, except it was like industrial size, like nuts and bolts that were just holding them back. And they could not get to the cross, they were just pulling. Yet they had the ability just to take them off and get to the cross. Um, and I think this is a lot like us holding on to unforgiveness when trying to be in community with Christ. Forgiving others is an invitation to recognize Christ's worth. Christ was perfect, the spotless Lamb. There was no sin in him. His worth far exceeds ours. Yet he paid the penalty for my debt and your debt against the Father. He was taken into custody. He was spit on. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was tortured. And he died for my sin. Nothing that he deserved. When it comes to offenses against us, we have to stop thinking about ourselves and start looking at Christ who he is, and what he did for us. Like I said, we just came from celebrating Easter, but do we really recognize how much he is worth, his, how much he is worth to us? Um, I was getting this when we were singing and talking about Christ's worth just now, and I'm like, do I really, do I really recognize what Christ did for us, especially if I'm holding um, grudges or bitterness in my heart? When we look at the absolute glory and greatness of Christ, then it becomes so much easier for us to forgive others because we, have, because we are longing to be like him. So let's take a moment and explore Christ's magnific- magnificence. Um, personally, I'm not creative enough or have the ability to even scrape, scrape the surface of Christ's magnificence. Magnificence. No one can, absolutely, but um, I want to take a couple of scriptures. So first, we're going to look at what John says about Christ in John 1. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. And I was reading this, and I was picturing, like, the Old Testament, how God would manifest himself um, as light, and how we couldn't even be in the presence of that light without dying. Just, he's so wonderful. Um, in First Colossians, or I'm sorry, in Colossians 1, Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ, for God, was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, and through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When we see how beautiful Jesus is, the tragedy is, I miswrote. If you feel like it's hard to come to church, the tragedy is because you don't have that, you have been unwilling to forgive, you'll be cut off with that community from God. That's what Jesus is teaching us. So like that vision I said, you have the ability to drop those, to drop those chains, to drop that, that hatred that you have. And when you realize that, it should be much easier for us to forgive. So I want to talk about a couple different situations when it comes to forgiveness, a couple different questions, if you will, um, that come to mind when I think about them. The first one is, do we forgive those who don't ask for it? Um, Personally, this was a struggle with mine. I talked, last time I was here, I talked a little bit about my divorce. And um, once again, I never felt closer to God when I was going through that divorce. Um, But I really, really wrestled with this idea of forgiveness when she my ex-wife, didn't ask for it, and she was not living in repentance by any means. And I really struggled with that, and I held on to that. Um, it was funny the way that I realized the truth as I talked to another chaplain in the army, and I was telling him about the struggle that I had, and he goes, well, what, is, what does God say? What does Christ say? You have to forgive. And I'm like, it's kind of like a slap to the face, like, oh yeah, that is what Christ said. Um <laughs> So yeah, there's two moments in scripture, though, um, that stood out to me when I considered this question. The first was Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen was in the middle of being stoned, so picture this. There's a crowd of people around him unjustifiably hurling rocks at him and presumably mocking him and probably cursing or spitting on him. And while doing that, does anyone know what Stephen's dying words were? Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Killing you, in the middle of killing you, is a pretty significant sin against you. And these people had no remorse. They were just doing it. Yet Stephen forgave in his dying words. I thought that was pretty powerful. Likewise, Jesus was being cursed and mocked on the cross, and what does he say in his dying words? Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Certainly, the groups of people, both with Stephen and of Jesus, were not asking for forgiveness. In both cases, they were actually torturing them. Yet what does Christ and Stephen do? He, they, they forgive in their dying breath. So, yes. You forgive those who do not seek it or ask it. What if I'm not ready to forgive? Let me preface this by saying, I'm not gonna be able to give you anything right now that's gonna make you feel all hunky-dory and great about forgiving that deepest-rooted sin. Um, And I'll get to this in a minute, but this is really gonna be an invitation to start a process, so just look at this and hear this through that lens. But perhaps you're not ready to forgive someone, The hurt against you is so deeply rooted and it just cannot be undone. Maybe you can't even imagine what forgiveness for that person looks like. I'm here to tell you that Christ says there is freedom in saying yes to forgiveness. If you say yes and allow him to begin walking with you, he will honor that. Take the hurt to the Lord and allow him to transform your heart through that season of forgiveness. The Lord will walk with you through that journey. As the Lord uproots the hurt, the pain, and the bitterness, and the hardened heart, the season will come to an end, and you can walk in freedom. Some keys to doing that is having faith. Faith is so important. You have to trust what Christ said in his word through scripture. You have to trust that it is true and that he will bless your faithful actions when we have faith that God will heal, we have faith, when we have faith that God will heal us physically, we have faith that God will provide for us, when we have faith that God will whatever it is in the blank, then let's have faith that he will help us forgive even the hardest offenses against us and then bless us when we do, because that's what scripture says. Number two, meditate on God's goodness. I couldn't fit in, this is probably a whole sermon or sermon series on its own. Um, I couldn't fill in all the blanks of how amazing and how uh, magnificent God is and through his son, Jesus Christ. Meditate on this. Meditate in your personal time, meditate in your corporate worship time, um, and use others in the church as well to come alongside you and meditate on this. When you meditate on what he has done for us, it becomes so much easier through humility for us to forgive others. Number three, use the body, that is the church. Find someone who has has a forgiveness testimony and ask them for wisdom, guidance, and prayer, and they will walk you through it. And number four, just say yes. Say yes to that journey. And that's all I'm asking for you today. Forgiving others should be a habitual thing. I realize this more while preparing for this sermon than I ever have because it's always in the back of my mind, like, am I saying the right things? And I add this. You know how. You know what I mean when you're preparing for a sermon. And, like, all these situations just came up, kept coming up, where I was, like, being hurt by someone at work or I was being hurt by this person. I'm just, like, coming home in anger and, and bitterness, and I have to forgive them. I have to release them. But, guys, there's, there's so much freedom in that. There's so much freedom in making that habitual thing. If we are continually asking for forgiveness, if I'm going to Christ for forgiveness, then we continually forgive others. This does not mean, and I've said this before, this does not mean that, um, I'm sorry, let me back up. He does put that in the Lord's Prayer for a reason. It's a habitual thing. We should be doing it constantly. Um, Here's another question for us. What if someone keeps sinning against us? Christ continues or commands us to continue to forgive, even if someone continues to offend us or sin against us. If we are continually asking for forgiveness, then we continue to forgive. This does not mean, like I said before, that these people have to remain in our lives. We can forgive and still set wise boundaries. Um, Consider what Jesus says to the church, what Consider what Jesus instructs the church to do when we have um, someone who's consistently sinning in the church. You know, you bring him, you approach him once, and then you bring a body to him, and then eventually, if he continues to live in sin, there excommunicated from the church. That's Christ. Uh, And you can do that with your life too. Um, There's like a thousand and endless different situations that you may be going through and I can't address all of those right now. So just lean into wisdom, lean into scripture, um, find someone to walk you through that so you can set wise and healthy boundaries depending on what situation that you are in. Um, But this still doesn't mean even if we have to take someone out of our life that we can't forgive It's important to remember what forgiveness is. It's removing the sin from consideration and creating a basis of harmony between you and the other person. It does not mean that you'll remain in close relationship. Maybe you will. Maybe there will be reconciliation, and that's certainly the prayer, um, but not always. Final thing, guys. When we forgive, the gospel is proclaimed. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to give two quick stories of examples that I've seen that forgiveness was given, and it was extremely powerful. The first one is by a lady named um, Misty Wallace, and you can YouTube her, because they have a whole um, mission now that they go on. What happened to her back in the 90s, I think, was she was getting into her car in Indianapolis, and someone came up and mugged her and shot her in the face. And um, that, like, disrupted all kinds of things in her life, a softball um, scholarship that she had, and she was really obviously, physically and emotionally and mentally scarred by that. Um, years later, she was coming to Christ, and she writes in her book that she was just really struggling with this idea of forgiving others, and she was holding on to this hatred and bitterness against this offender that shot her in the face. So she googled his name. When she did, she found out that he was out of prison way earlier than he should have been, and that there was a picture of him getting a word from the governor of the state of Indiana, and she was like, what the heck, and anger, and she was, she ended up writing the governor, um, the governor's office, and all this kind of stuff, and she was very, very angry about that. She couldn't get any, she couldn't get any answers from the governor's office, so she messaged him on Facebook, and long story short, um, he had come to Christ in prison, and then had become a prison chaplain, and was doing such a great job in prison chaplaincy that he's received some award. Well, they ended up meeting up and she forgave him publicly. And now they have a ministry and this is so powerful. They go into prisons and I was a part of this. Um, it's so powerful to watch because they don't, the inmates that are in these classes don't know this to be true. So she would get up, she would share her whole story. I was shot in the face and I forgave my offender. And everyone's like, wow, it's really powerful. I could be forgiven too. And then she'd be like, and the offender's here today. And they're like, all looking at each other, like, which one is it? <laughs> um, and then he would be in the back, he'd be the chaplain, they just didn't know that he, w- he had done this tour, and he would come up and then they would share their testimony together, and all the times they've shared this, and they've changed lives, especially in prison. Like I said, you can Google Kiss, uh, Misty Wallace and Keith Blackburn, you can Google that, and they've got some pretty cool testimonies online, they've made the news a few times in that. Um, I can't imagine. I've never had someone shoot me in the face, and I can't imagine not only forgiving them, but now doing a ministry together. And their families are really close now. They're both married, and their families are really close, and they're like best friends. It's an amazing story, amazing story. One other story that I found really powerful, it took my breath away when I saw it for the first time. Um, There was a a family who... The the father or the husband was gone away from, um, for business for some for something, and uh, the house got burglarized by four or five individuals. Um, the wife caught them in the house and said, "Listen, do whatever you want to do to me. Please don't hurt my kids. You can take whatever." And they ended up gang raping her um, in this horrifying, horrifying story. Um, they get caught. Um, they're each having their own trials. And the way I got involved was I was actually, there was a 17 year old. They were all 18, there was one 17 year old. And I was, i uh, long story, but I got brought in to mentor the 17 year old before he went off to prison. He, I think he ended up getting like 40 years in prison for that. Um, but I was there to like mentor him before he left for prison. So I was there at his sentencing hearing and the family had the opportunity to stand up and, and say whatever they needed to say to the offender. And the husband got up and said, you know, we want justice to be done, but just to let you know, my family has forgiven you and releases this of you. And I'm like, as a husband, I mean, I could maybe, maybe see it as the victim, the, the wife, but as a husband, as someone who had did that to my family, my wife, while I was gone, um, for him to forgive that individual, that was a powerful moment. And certainly in both of those stories, there's many like it, um, the gospel is proclaimed. I really believe that God is using this time to set set an opportunity for people to be set free. Um, No no matter how bad someone has sinned against you, remember that forgiving them is proclaiming the gospel and honoring Christ by recognizing his worth and what he did for you. Um, If the worship band could come back up I'm gonna ask, and before you raise your hand, um, I'm gonna explain why I'm gonna have you raise your hand. I'm gonna ask those who have a powerful forgiveness story to raise your hands. um, And here's what I want you to do. For those who are struggling with deep-rooted unforgiveness, The people that raise their hand, I would like you to be willing to meet with this individual. I'm not saying you have to meet with them right this minute or even um, after I get done, but maybe sometime during the week. Let's use the body to help each other heal. So, if you have a forgiveness story and you're willing to walk with someone who is struggling with unforgiveness, can you raise your hand? And I'm one of them, I'm not just raising it. So, look around. If you are struggling, With unforgiveness in your heart. These people have gone through it and have seen power in it and have been set free in some form. Get with them and meet with them or me so we can help pray and walk you through this. Um, As I wrap this up, I'm going to ask Dawn to come up. She's going to lead us in this prayer to accept an invitation. to say yes to this journey if you're struggling with unforgiveness. So I'm going to hand it over to her.